Hello and welcome to Northumberland Voices, the podcast from Northumberland Archives. My name is Jo March and I'm an archivist at the Woodhorn office of Northumberland Archives. In the previous episodes of Northumberland Voices, we've used some of the earliest oral history recordings that we hold at Northumberland Archives. However, today's episode is a little bit different. This oral history was taken in 2008 as part of a project to record the voices and experiences of people who had been children during the Second World War and who had been evacuated to Northumberland. This episode features the oral history of Jean Mather. Jean was born in Glasgow before the war but was evacuated aged about six to her grandparents in Craster. Here she describes the house that she lived in with her grandparents, Grandma and Granda Butters, when she moved to Craster. Granny's house can only be described as overcrowded. How tolerant they must have been. They still had three of their own family living at home. Uncle George worked at Ratch of Quarry with Granda, and Helen worked at Howick as a maid a housemaid to the Carellison's triplets, but lived at home, and Uncle Gordon was still at the Duke's Grammar School in Annick. The house was a council house, number five youth crescent, a kitchen, back kitchen, three bedrooms and a bathroom. Uncle George and Uncle Gordon shared the front bedroom. Granny and Granda slept on a bed settee in the kitchen. The kitchen was used for everything and everybody. The back kitchen had a set pot in the corner used for boiling the washing and anything else that had to be boiled, including the pig meat when they killed the pig. The dishes were washed in there at the sink and the vegetables prepared. I believe she had a paraffin stove which had a little oven which stood above the burners, but nobody ever sat in that room. Off the passageway to the right, as you came through the back door, there was a toilet and a walk-in pantry. The coal house was under the staircase. The kitchen was dominated by the black fire range where Granny did most of the cooking for the family. Their bed settee was on one side of this in the recess and there was a built-in cupboard on the other side. She kept everything in that cupboard. That and the press, which stood along one one wall facing the window. Against the wall opposite the fire was Granda's organ. This was the sole form of entertainment, apart from a wireless, which ran on something called an accumulator. They had to be charged up. This had to be charged up, similar to a car battery. The centre of the room was dominated by the table and chairs and somewhere in the, in the odd space there was two old leather armchairs which matched the settee. Nobody had carpets, lino on the floors and homemade proggy or cliquey mats which were made on winter nights by everyone in the house. These were made on mat frames with sacking stitched to the long poles with two short poles pushed through slots at each end so it could be rolled up for easier handling. The material used were old coats and skirts or anything wearable that was put in the rag bag, then cut up to the right length to make the mat. When finished, they were extremely durable. 
warm and thick and depending on how artistic people were, very attractive. I can even remember them being put on our beds from the floor in the winter if it was very cold. No central heating then. We had stone hot water bottles or a brick from the fireplace put in the bed. The two biggest bedrooms each had a little fireplace but were only lit if someone was ill. Our bedroom had a double bed where the three of us slept together and Mam had a single bed at the foot. The only other furniture it, that um, the only other furniture that was in the room was a chest of drawers. The bathroom was very small, only room for the bath and a wooden bench on which stood a large basin for washing in. This had to be filled from the bath tap. Many of Jean's childhood memories of Craster seem to be to do with food, and she talks here about the advantages of owning a pig as well as her grandmother's Christmas traditions. But certainly we had a pig, which meant lots of meat. The bacon shanks were hung from the ceiling, kitchen again, and there was potted meat and black pudding made in the set pot. Also lovely joints of pork and spare ribs. No, we never went hungry. Granny was famous, famous for our Christmas cakes. She used to make at least a dozen and she gave them away as presents. She would save up threepenny bits and wrap them in greaseproof paper and put them in the Christmas puddings. Oh, the joy if you were lucky enough to get one. Everything had its season then. She'd send us out for brambles to make bramble and uh, make jam and bramble dumplings. These were boiled in a pan. The brambles encased in a bag of dough and wrapped in a linen cloth. Clutty dumplings they were called. She made a savoury one as well with leeks. Then there was the elderberry wine, which she made every year for New Year. We were allowed one sip only, then we were given ginger wine, which she also made herself. Her, her one self-indulgence was butter. Because it was so scarce at the time, she would skim the cream from the milk, put it in a jam jar, Doing this for a few days, then she would add a touch of salt and shake it until it formed into butter. She kept this for herself, possibly her only little luxury. Over and above all these were craster kippers. Again, I'm not sure if the kippers were to be had in the war years, but we certainly had plenty of them when we lived at Granny's. She would send us along to the yard to get one shilling's worth of rags. These were the herrings that had been torn on the tender hooks so they were sold off cheaply. We'd bring them home, a huge pile wrapped in newspaper, and she would fry them on the open fire. She had a large black pan solely for this purpose. They were then served to us, not on plates, but on newspaper. We ate them with our fingers. Lovely. It's obvious that Jean had prepared what she was going to say in this interview in advance. You can tell that she's reading from a script and sometimes you can even hear her turning the pages. However, one of the really endearing things about this interview is the way that one memory that she's written down seems to lead to another. So here, the story about a Christmas treat leads on to another about scrumping apples. Our Christmas school party was held at Craster Tower, a great um, <clears throat> a great favour shown to us underlings. 
playing in the kitchen, uh, tea in the kitchen, than a present to take home. We had to hunt for the present which was hidden somewhere in the house, which we thought was great fun. Behind the row of little cottages opposite the school, there was a market garden, which belonged to the Crasters. Mr Budgeon, who lived in Dunstan, was the head gardener, and the two Taylor brothers from Craster worked under him. Sometimes we would go there after school if Granny needed anything. They sold tomatoes and the Granda couldn't grow at home, but mostly we went for the apples. There was a double row of trees down the centre path and the fruit was very scarce during the war. We would stand at the t he would stand at the top of the path watching us go down to make sure we didn't pinch any. But as we turned the corner out of sight, we always managed to get some. We escaped by a door at the bottom, which led onto a path towards home. Another thing we pinched was turnips from the field by the, by the turn. We would bash them on the stone wall to remove some skin, and then eat them raw. Shafto Craster, the squire's brother, caught us one day and we got into serious trouble. It was reported to Granny and we were threatened with the police. What a crime. When editing these oral histories that we hold at Northumberland Archives for the podcasts, it can often be quite difficult to decide what to keep in and what to leave out. This oral history of Jean's is no exception, and if you ever get the chance, I could highly recommend listening to it in its entirety. Her tales are full of good humour, and are in some places rather gossipy. She talks about the comings and goings during the war years and the children that resulted from those comings and goings, but never in any sort of purient or, or judgmental way. She's just ex observing the community that she lived in. Here she talks about how her own circumstances changed after the divorce of her parents. It was about this time that Squire Craster decided to give Mama a house in the village. I suppose she approached him because, of course, the family would be coming home. Aunt Helen had married and Uncle Gordon would be back, so space would be limited once again for poor Granny and Granda. We were given the summer house, a two-room single-storied house at the top of the South Pier, opposite the gable end of the pub. It was entered by a little porch leading to a small passage which took us into the kitchen, then into a small passage leading into the bedroom. It was extremely damp and cold, with no indoor toilet, an outside tap by the door, which had to supply both us and a nearby cottage. There was a black fireplace where all the cooking was done and a small fireplace in the bedroom. Other than that, nothing. We thought it was magic. I've thought long and hard, but can't even imagine how Mum managed to live in there for over three years. But it was then that she met my, my stepfather, William Hughes, and they got married on Christmas Eve. On a Christmas Eve. I can't just quote the date offhand. And played Santa Claus at night to us three children who were sleeping in the little bedroom. 
And I can remember him telling me that he'd lost all the oranges under the bed and had to find his way in the dark to find them. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Northumberland Voices. We hope you've enjoyed it and that you'll download this podcast again. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.